Welcome to Disciple City Church Podcast. My name is Jerry Wagner, founder and lead pastor of Disciple City Church in Dallas, Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast. Our desire is to unleash healthy disciple makers in West Dallas to reach the world. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can listen to new messages each week. Thank you and have a God-filled day. Is there anyone in here, when you heard that last song, you just want Jesus? Like, forget all your accomplishments. Forget whatever you're going through this week. You just want Jesus. As I stand before you, even right now, getting ready to proclaim God's word, I just want him to use me in such a way that brings him glory and him honor. I just want Jesus. And I know we say that with our lips, But when problems and circumstances and situations come, we know what it's like to need Jesus and to cry out to Jesus. And for some of us, if not all of us, we have experienced him showing up in our lives. Amen? Man, let me pray and then we're going to jump into God's word today. Eternal Father, I just pray for your sovereignty. I pray for your wisdom. I pray for your spirit to fill us this day to fill us in such a way that we can please you and to make much of you. Father, I don't know what our brothers and sisters are going through today, but you do. And I pray that this word will be right on time for that situation that they're going through. We love you, Father. We trust you, and we lift you up. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Let all the saints say, amen. You may be seated in the presence of God. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 15 through 21. If you do not have a Bible, there's a Bible right under the seat in front of you. Please take that Bible. It is a gift to you from DCC. If you don't know how to read that Bible, I want some of you all to take me up on my offer and I will show you how to read that Bible. I have the great opportunity on Wednesdays to show brothers and sisters what it's like to go through the scriptures. My assignment today is to finish the Disciple City DNA Sermon Series. And this is the last and final sermon, although I'm going to take it three weeks. And this last one is called that a healthy disciple maker at DCC is one who regularly gives. If you are a part of this family, if you are seeking to be a part of this family, one of the things that you will know that here at DCC, you will be one of those disciple makers who will regularly give. And what we mean by that is simply we are called to faithfully manage our time, our talent, and our treasure as resources for God's kingdom, regularly giving. And so I want to spend this time today, and I'm going to break this sermon up into three weeks, all right? I want to talk about time. Next week, I want to talk about talents, and then the final week, I want to talk about treasures, all right? If you're there, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 15, it reads, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, 
<laughs> for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melodies to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting one to another out of the reverence of Christ. I want to start this sermon with a little crowd participation and interaction. So I'm going to ask you a question. It's not rhetorical. First thing that comes to your mind, just shout it out. What is the one thing that all of us need more of and it's not money? What is, I can't hear you. Time, all right? All right, let's, let, let's, let's interact with one another, all right? More specifically, I want you to scream this out. Why do you specifically need more time? Okay, get things done. Procrastination. Shame the devil, tell the truth. <laughs> what else? Why do you need more time? Sleep. Somebody said sleep. So you can take a nap here if you want to, all right? What else? What is it? Spend more time with God. Now, that's the spiritual section over here, all right? <laughs> we got procrastinators, shaming the devil, telling the truth. We got the spiritual one in the back. One more. Why do you need more time? Say it again. Make tents. Oh, you want to build? Okay. Architect over here. All right. Well, listen, let me add one more thing to this, all right? I want to add one more thing to this, but I don't want to do it in a way that is insulting to you. I want to do it in a way just to bring facts to the equation. Did you know that there are only 24 hours in a day? Did you know that there are only seven days in a week? Did you know that there are only 365 days in a year? Except the leap year, all right? Of all those things that I just mentioned, which one of those things can you change? Not one. Not one. So the issue is not about having more time. The issue is, what are you doing with the time that you have? The issue is not whether you have more time to do the things that you need, whether we're talking about sleep or procrastination or building tents, because nothing in the time um, formula will change. So now the issue is, what are you doing with the time that you have? That's the issue on the table. That God isn't going to give you more time, but he is going to demand of you to use the time that he has allotted to you while you're here on earth. Anybody remember Alexander the Great? Alexander the Great, I mean, he rocked the Roman world, but he died at the age of 32. What? 32 years this man had on earth, and we write history books about him. Martin Luther King, most of us even celebrate a holiday with him. He died when he was 39. So it's not based on how long you have. It is actually based on what are you doing with the time that God has allotted to you. And I'm going to pick that apart today. Let me tell you a couple of things that I think are false that oftentimes we buy into. For example... Oftentimes, someone might say 
Well, pastor, it is simply about managing our time. And to that, I would say that's false. And here's the reason why. More often than not, we oftentimes use our time and we use it in a very unproductive way. Ah, if you can't say amen, just say ouch. Jordan Cohen said, um, as a productive expert, he once said, make time for the things that matter. He said, the issue is we are not productive because we don't make time for the things that really matter. Let me dig a little deeper. If we're honest with ourselves, we spend more time on self-care and self-promoting through social media than the mission of the Savior. In fact, when it's time to do the mission of the Savior in light of self-promoting and self-care, um, um, Oftentimes, when it's time for the mission of Jesus, we say things like this, I don't have time. I see the smiles on your face. If I'm in your pocket, I'm sorry. I'm talking to myself as well. Here's another misnomer um, concerning time. Someone might say, you just need to find the right system for time management. Here's the problem with systems and time management. The first thing is, it does not fit everyone. Time management does not fit everyone. And the systems that you have, you know, may work for this person, but it, oftentimes it don't work for that person. But here's the thing I think is more important with the systems of time management. You cannot adjust your systems to different seasons or circumstances of life. Some of you all who just had babies understand that quite well right now. See, you, you, you used to just leave the house and, and just... Some of y'all didn't even brush your teeth or wash your face and you be gone. But now that you have a baby, you be out on your way to church, you go be on time, and then the baby has a blowout. <laughs> Somebody in the back like, oh, Jesus. And then you go in the house because you're trying to clean the baby up, and then it's taking you so long, you get to the point, look at your husband like, man, I don't, I don't think we're going today. I don't, I don't think we're going today. We're going to watch, let's watch it on TV, right? So time management or the system of time management is a a misnomer because oftentimes it doesn't fit or adjust to the seasons and circumstances of life. So once again, the issue is not how much time. The issue is how are you using your time? Let me say this last thing before we jump into the text. How you use your time. As disciple makers of Jesus, we'll cost you things that you want to do. How you use your time as disciple makers of Jesus will affect the will of God. How you use your time as disciple makers of Jesus will affect your worship with the people of God. So this issue of how you use your time is that we're talking about today is a very, very serious issue because it can affect the daily areas of our lives. So today I want to talk about making the best use of time. Here's the proposition. A healthy disciple maker is one who lives wisely by making the best use of time. Notice what I said. A healthy disciple maker lives in a very wise and wisdom-driven way. How? By making the best use of time. Now, if I were to take a test 
among the members and also among the brothers and sisters here at DCC, if I asked you, how are you using your time? Would you pass with flying colors? Or do you need some help in this area? So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 21, first proposition online is simply this. A healthy disciple maker is one who lives wisely. Notice what Paul says in verse 15. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. All right. Six times Paul has used this word walk, which simply means to maintain a certain lifestyle. He's saying, I want you to look carefully how you are living on this earth. And he's not talking to non-believers. He's actually talking to those who have put their faith in Christ. In fact, he says to the Christians in Ephesus, um, according to your new identity, these are some of the things that you have experienced now that you have trusted Jesus. They have been called into a relationship with Christ. They have received special gifting from the resurrected Christ. They have been taught the truth in Christ. They have, been, they have put on the new man in Christ. They have experienced the sacrificial love in Christ, and they have become children of the light. Wow, look at all those blessings that those who have put their faith in Jesus are experiencing. Therefore, in light of these blessings and new identity, he is calling them to live a lifestyle that reflects their identity in Christ, which he calls wisdom. Is there anyone in here who has experienced the love of Jesus, the sacrificial love of Jesus? Is there anyone in here who have been called out of darkness into the marvelous light that, that, that now everywhere you go, you blank bring the blessings of God? If that is you, then Paul would say, how are you using your time then? He's saying if this, I, you are identified with this new identity in Christ, he says the first thing I will ask you is, how are you doing with your time? Now, he does not tell them to live any kind of way, but he says, look carefully then how you walk or how you live. The word look carefully simply means to live circumspectly. It means to live diligently. One person has translated, watch every step of your life. This is what Paul is saying. Paul says we are being... Paul is saying, because we have been given these blessings, he says, you should carefully pay attention as disciples of Jesus on how you live. Allow me to give a little bit of color to this. One of my professors, he talks about this story when him and his wife lived in England in 1992. And he says when he was in England, he noticed that some of the Brits would build these brick walls. And on top of these brick walls, they would put broken shard glass on top of it. And the reason why they put broken shard glass was so that it may prevent intruders and trespassers, trespassers from coming on their property. He says if that wasn't crazy, when he would watch cats walk on these walls, he says he would notice how carefully they would put their paws in the right position so that they would not be cut by glass. Why do I tell you that story? Because that is how God wants us to live in light of examining our lives. 
to move circumspectly and diligently, making sure that we are not careless with the time that he has given us. And if I'm honest with myself, oftentimes (laughs) I don't live well with my time. And you know how it is when you don't live well with your time and that deadline comes up, but you've known about that project for at least three months. For at least three months. And now your whole world is rocked because you're trying to write a paper the week of. And then you get mad at the professor when you get a D or F. You're like, wow, hold on, what? You were not prepared. And you used your time in such a way that it was careless, causing you to fall victim of the red pen. <laughs> Look at the college students in here like, Pastor, no. Where's the grace at? Nope. Diligence in this situation. So when Paul begins to talk about this, he says, one of the ways that you know that you are living a life that is wise is by examining How you are using your time, which brings up the second point. A healthy disciple maker lives wisely by making the best use of time. Paul in verses 15 and 16 says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time. Why? Because the days are evil. This is why I'm going to spend just a little bit of time, and this is what I want to poke a couple of things on this sub point. Paul uses the word making the best use of time. Now, the way that you can translate this in um, the Bible is you could say making the best use of time or by buying or redeeming time, all right? By buying or redeeming time. One implication on this. The implication is making the best use of time will cost you something. Making the best use of time will cost you something. Well, pastor, what would it cost me? It will cost you things that you want to do in order to do the things that God has called you to do. Making the best use of time will be a battle between your will and God's will. Making the best use of time is your ability to be skillful in your choice of doing the things that are urgent or doing the things that are important. I I, I don't want you to be naive. I don't want you to feel like I'm, I'm using this pulpit to bully you because I do know when you make the best use of time, it's going to cost you something. You have to make choices. That's why he used the word wise or where we get the Hebrew word hokmah. Hokmah is not just about knowledge. Hokmah is about being a skillful craftsman when you use time. That's what makes it so hard because you got all these things to do. And some of you all are doing some great things and are running out of time. But what Paul would say Are you doing the things that please God? Or are you doing the things to serve your own agenda? This is tough, I know. They they forced me to do all the hard sermons. Michael and Ryan, they get to do the pretty sermons. I got to do the hard sermons. Y'all looking at me like, see, oh, man, if it wasn't for those other cats, I wouldn't even be here. Okay, that's cool. 
<laughs> See, the issue, I like that. It's tight, but it's not right. I mean, it's, it's tight, but it's right. I like that, right? I'm, I'm going to use that one day, right? The issue here is not just about wasting time, although our generation are known for wasting time, right? The issue here is about prioritizing the kingdom of God. It's not just about carelessness. You will have to get to a point where you're going to have to make a decision whether it's about the kingdom of God or about your comfort. You will get to a point where you got to make a choice where you're willing to shine for Jesus or do you want all the shine? It's tough. I'm very empathetic in this, but I'm telling you, if you're going to experience and flourish in the kingdom of God, watch this, you're going to have to learn how to use your time well. Here's the problem. When you and I do not use our time wisely, it affects two areas of our lives, the will of God and, the wor and worship with God's people. If you do not use your time wisely, it's going to affect the will of God. And then it's going to affect your time with the people of God that he has entrusted to you, right? Some of y'all don't believe me. Look at verse 17. Paul says in verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, notice something. Paul says, do not be foolish which is parallel with the word not as unwise in verse 15. Why do I tell you that? Because the difference between a person who is unwise and a person who is foolish in the economy of God is the difference between someone who is ignorant and someone who is in opposition to the will of God. Right? See, when you mishandle your time, Paul says, do not be the foolish one, because when you are foolish, you are in opposition to what God has called you to do. That's tough. It's one thing to be ignorant and say, man, I don't know, teach me. But God says, I have given you this test. I have given you this mission. I have given you this gift, and you are not using it. You have went way past being unwise. You are walking in foolishness. He says, those who walk in foolishness are those who are operating that are in opposition towards God. In fact, when we use our time unwisely, we are being contrary to the will of God. And, and, and all the will of God in this context uh, right here simply means is this. Do you understand the will of God? And if you understand it, are you doing the will of God? That's all this means right here. I know you want some ethereal thing like, man, the will of God is this mystery that's going on. That's not what he's saying right here. The will of God is applied knowledge. The will of God is if you have heard from God, then do it. If he has given you mission and gift, then walk in it. That's all this, the will of God means right here. Are you applying what you know? Man, well, Pastor, I don't know the Bible like you. I can't study like you. Jesus ain't asking you for none of that. The John 3.16 that you've memorized, how often do you use it? Well, Pastor, man, you know, I don't, I don't pray like the great saluto. Okay, how do you pray? Do you know the Lord's Prayer? Yeah, everybody knows the Lord's Prayer. How often do you pray it? 
This is applied wisdom. This is you walking out what you already know. Well, where do I get this knowledge from, pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked. The word of God. Well, well, okay, pastor, what do I do with the knowledge that I have? I'm glad you asked, which is another great question. Do what God says. That ain't hard. Well, technically it is hard because there's, I had to think about that for a second. Like, it's simply hard. God's messaging and, and God's mission that he has for you, it is easy because you know where he is directing you. It is hard because you're battling within yourself. Do you want to shine for God or do you want to please yourself? And see, Paul is a Jewish man, so he's, he's looking all the way back in the Old Testament, and he's taking the wisdom from the Old Testament, and he's applying it here. So Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 6 simply says this, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ears attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, Yes, if you call out for insight and rise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure, then, he says, then you will understand the fear of God, and then you will find the knowledge of God, and then for the Lord will give you wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. You don't have to go out here and search for this stuff. You just need to listen to what God is telling you. Well, Pastor, I don't, I don't know what God is telling me. Read your Bible. We got Bibles galore. We got paper Bibles. We got Bibles on our phone. We got Bibles on screen. Listen, there's no excuse for those who live in America to talk about they don't know what God is talking about because there's a Bible on every corner. You got it in different translation. You got old English. You got modern English. You even got paraphrases now. You even got Bibles that got bullet points in there to help you out. Come on, stop, y'all. It's tight, but it's right. <laughs> Are you using your time wisely by walking in the will of God because of the information he has given you on your mission? Instead of using our time to live according to the will of God and experience the power of God, I'm going to come back to that, we are intoxicated with ourselves. We are intoxicated with ourselves. Look at verse 18 since I got a moan. Verse 18, it says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Notice what he says. He says, be filled with the Spirit. Now, let me break that down for a second. To be filled with the Spirit is a passive verb, meaning the Spirit is doing the filling to you. That is good news for us. And it's good news because the Spirit is the one who is helping us to discern the will of God for our lives. You don't have to do this by yourself. The Spirit of God who lives inside you is the one who is teaching you and directing you what you ought to do. So even if you don't understand the Bible, the Spirit of God says, start reading. I give you interpretation. 
When Jesus went to the Father, he says, I am not going to leave you orphan. I'm actually going to pray to the Father that he will send you a helper to come alongside you. You got Siri inside of you. Holy Spirit, what does this mean? Oh, what that means, you know, stop. He got our back. He said, be filled with the spirit because I am the one who's doing it. However, because this is an imperative, you have a responsibility to be obedient to following the spirit as he leads you. Yes, he is doing the work, but when he tells you to go, he's saying, I need you to be obedient to where I'm leading you. That's where the problem comes in. I don't want to stay in that neighborhood because the school system ain't that great. I don't want to go to that job because they don't pay enough. You know, I don't want to go to that church because they don't have drums and they only got two singers on the stage. And forget that, man. I ain't going there. And yet you can't figure out why you are not experiencing the power of God. Watch the progression. When we are obedient, obedient to the control of God, the Spirit, then we will help. Then He will help us discern the will of God, and lastly, then we will know how to spend our time to please God. See the progression. I say it again. When we are obedient to the control of God, the Spirit, then He will help us discern the will that He has for us. Then we will know how to spend the time that we have so that we can please him. Do you see the progression? Why are we not experiencing the power of the Spirit in our time and doing God? And I tell you one reason. Because we are intoxicated with ourselves. Look at verse 18 again. He says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. See, being drunk with wine and, and walking in debauchery simply is about self-gratification, self-indulgence, senseless living, and not living under the power of God. That's what being drunk is. That's what it's all about. Like, it's all about you. You want to feel that gratification. You want, look, this, ain't, this sermon ain't about whether you can drink or not, so don't Email me about, well, Pastor, do you think drinking is wrong? What the Bible is saying, getting drunk is wrong. Well, I, gotta, I, gotta, I, gotta, I have a, a, a high um, alcohol tolerance. How did you get there, though? Yeah, uh-huh. Uh-huh, you was drunk a couple of times. That's why you can do a six-pack now. Come on, man. Now, that's going to hurt some of y'all because y'all going to be like, man... He's using this metaphor to say the only thing that should be controlling you is God the Spirit. Right? Here's three areas that I think we are so intoxicated with that I think we are just careless, and they are all good things. They are all good things, but when we are careless with how we view them and careless with how we use them, we are careless with our time and we are careless with our life to please God. Three things. I think we are careless with our social life. We are careless with our social media. 
and we are careless with tomorrow, which oftentimes speak of our future. All right, let me, let me unpack it. Social life. Now, listen to me, and, and please take this with care as a father would talk to a, a, a child. For my singles, it is a good thing that you desire to be married. That is a good thing. But when your desire to be married comes at compromising things that you do, then you have moved from what God has called good to idolatry. I know you want to be married, but not at the cost of doing what God has called you to do. Paul, the person who wrote this Bible, when he talks to singles, write this one down and meditate over it. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 32 through 35 says this, I want you to be free from anxiety. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please him. Right? But the married man is anxious about worldly things and how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or the betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to be holy in the body and the spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things and how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay restraints. He's not telling you not to be about marriage. What he's saying is, I want you to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion, watch this, to the Lord. To the Lord. You have so much time. And and let me preface that. I know you are busy. I know you are doing things. But the time that God allots to you, you can wake up, brush your teeth, eat, go back to bed. Married folks, we can't do that. We wake up hoping that our child is still asleep. (laughs) We walk around our house like we robbers and stuff like Single cats get up, eat, and then they go back to bed watch Netflix. That's cool. As long as you have rhythm and balance in your life doing the will of God. Now, let me talk to some of you married folks in here, married without children. Listen. Oh, my goodness. I know you want your marriage to be good. I know you want it to be right. But you cannot spend all of your time on your marriage and neglect the discipleship that God has called you to. We get to this point like, man, my first ministry is, 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 my, is my home. That is true. But when it neglects your primary ministry, which is to serve God, then you're out of bounds and you're misusing your time. See, some of y'all laughing because y'all want to say, ouch, I'm rocking with you, right? You put discipleship on hold because you're trying to to, to fix your marriage, but the Bible says be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then he would teach you how to love your wife, and then he would teach you how to respect your husband. That's the next couple of verses. I ain't preaching on that, but that's the next couple of verses. And then let me talk to you cats who marry with children. You do the same thing that the married folks do, but now you have put so much focus on your children that you have put discipleship of whole, and instead of pouring it into them and modeling what it means to be a follower of Jesus, you so consumed by them that you put the church on hold, and then you expect them to love Jesus. How? 
more things are caught than taught. They're going to respond to more things that they see you do than you sitting there trying to tell them. Uh, think I'm like, Mom, Dad, you don't even do it. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to beat no one up. I'm telling you what this old man has been through for the past 39 years, and I'm trying to make sense of it in my own life. And if I'm going to get beat up, some of y'all going to get a couple of punches too. So, Right? Here's another one, social media. Look, we done killed this social media thing. I, I think all of us in here can agree that social media started off with good intent, but now is a problem in most of our lives. Most of us can agree with that. Most of us are taking the app, on our, taking the app off of our phone, and then we put it back on our phone. And then when we take it off of our phone, we're looking at somebody else's app who has it. Like, oh, let me see what you got on. They got your login pass on their phone. You're like, bro, how I get my login on my phone? All right? So I get it. But let me, let me poke at this because this is where I think your time is misrepresented, right? How is it that you can post five pictures, like 10 posts, read three quotes, then repost those quotes, but when it's time to read your Bible, you say you're tired? How is it that you can not only spend all this time on social media, but when it's time to serve with your biblical family, you say you don't have time? Huh. Let me continue with this one. You have your phone at work in your meetings. You take your phone in the bathroom. You take your phone in the bedroom. And then you wonder why you're not productive at work. Then you wonder why your intimacy with your spouse is, ah, I didn't want to say it, but the intimacy is broken. And then you wonder why you passing on germs because you don't wash your hands because you've been on the phone. Y'all better stop grabbing these people's phone, man. You're going to get what Ryan got. That's why he always walking around with <laughs> so. Social media is a problem when it has replaced your time spending with God. In fact, the first thing you, if I were to do this test, I'm not doing it. This is a rhetorical class. Question, when you wake up in the morning, what is the first thing you do? There's some spiritual people in here. I know some of y'all wake up and pray. I get it. But majority of it is if you're going to shame the devil, and tell the truth, the first thing you do is roll over to what? Your phone. I, burning your eyes and everything because the light, just, you just like, and you still looking like, oh, man, I missed 10 calls. You laughing because you know I'm right. <laughs> and here's the last one. I think we spend our time carelessly tomorrow. Tomorrow, James chapter 4, verse 13 and 14, he says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go in such and, and such a, a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanish. What is Paul saying? I mean, what is James saying? The problem here is that you are so concerned with the profit of tomorrow that you neglect the mission of today. 
You are so concerned with the profit of tomorrow that you neglect where God has you right now. You can't, you can't enjoy what God has given you today because you are looking so far down the line and God is saying, what you going to do with tomorrow? You can't control it. What you going to do with tomorrow? You acting like I'm promising you tomorrow. Why not be present right now? Can I do this? And I'm, yes, I am going. Here at D.C., I got so many of you all talking about, I don't know, I don't know if I can serve. I don't know if I can be in leadership because I don't know where I'm, I'm going to be. Why don't you do something right now until God moves you? And then you go to the next church hoping that you had the experience of doing what God has called you to do, but you neglected it here, and then you really want to do it at that next church because it has all the bells and whistles, and then be like, you ain't qualified. God is using these moments and he's using these opportunities so that he may raise you up to do what he has called you to do. But we are carelessly using our time and we are not walking in the will of God. Therefore, we're not experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) You know what we call that? When you're just in this tornado of trying to juggle all these ministries that God has given you, you know what we call it? Hurry. Hurry. You are so in a rush that you never slow down to hear the voice of God. Michael sent me this, and I thought it was great, man. He sent me this conversation between John Ortberg and Dallas Willard. And, and, and the question that they have, this is strange. If you look up on the screen, it says, what must I do to become the me I want to be? Let me change it just a little bit. What must I do to become the disciple God called me to be? All right. Dallas Willard answered, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry. And then he says, but what else? He said, there's nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life if you're going to be the disciple that God has called you to be. Remember, it is a cost here, y'all. Just because you can do everything doesn't mean you should be doing everything. I'm talking to myself in that. Just because I can do everything does not mean I should be doing. And in fact, our staff is more qualified to do all type of things. Our leaders are qualified to do a certain things. Sometimes I need somebody to tell me, Jerry, sit your butt down. Michael McGee in the back like, yeah, I didn't tell. Like one of the things the elders then forced me to do, they said, you taking a sabbatical this year. Oh, dang, who said that? <laughs> Was that Mario who did it? You just got here. What are you talking about? Okay. Miriam in the house, y'all. So I'm like, okay, okay. Here's the last thing he said. When you are just stuck in hurry, stuck in rush, you cheapen your gospel experience. Here's what he said. For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. 
See, the issue with most of you all is not that you're not doing anything. The issue is you are so preoccupied, you are so distracted, you are so overwhelmed that you are not even experiencing the joy of your salvation. Here's the last thing. If you misuse your time, not only will it affect the will of God, but watch this, it will affect the worship with God's people. Let me say this, and then I'm going to read the text. When you misuse your time, it does not only affect you, it affects your biblical siblings as well. When you misuse your time, it doesn't just affect you. It affects all of us because we have to pick up the slack for what you're not doing. And it handicaps the body where you're supposed to be the hand and I'm supposed to be the arm. When you ball up your fist, I'm trying to pick stuff up with my arm. You know how hard that is? Somebody's the leg and you the foot, but then the foot goes to sleep and then the leg is just trying to move like this, right? That's why we're not flourishing and the spirit of God is not pouring itself out on this church because we have handicapped ourselves because too many people are doing too many jobs and the people who just come here to hear a good word and come here to uh, hear a good song, you're doing nothing. And the power of God is being stifled. Because you can't do one thing. Because you won't make the time to get trained to do one thing. You know what makes it so bad? When you go to work, man, that boss tells you to do all type of stuff, and you don't even blink. You do it. You know why? Because you see value there. But when it comes to the local church, you expect everybody else to do it. Well, Pastor, where are you getting all this? Look at verses 19 to 20. It says, address one another. He moved from individual aspect to corporate aspect. Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus. Submitting, again, one to another of reverence for Christ. When you make the decision to misuse your time, it doesn't just affect you. It affects all of us. And it handicaps the body from flourishing in such a way that the power of the Holy Spirit goes forth. So, I know I went hard on a little area, so I'm not going to beat up y'all anymore. But there's three things I need you to do. There's three things that I need you to do, three application points that I need you to do, especially as a member of DCC. And if you're not a member of DCC, you can also apply this to your life, A, so that you may discern what the will of God has for you. Here's the first thing. Examine where you are spending your time. Examine where you are spending your time. 
Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home and look at how much time are you spending at work? How much time are you spending on social media? How much time are you spending as a, a, a spouse? How much time are you spending as a single in community? How are you spending your time? Now, once you discover where you're spending most of your time, move to the second application, and that is, I want you to spend time prioritizing the will of God in your life and then do it. Wherever God has showed you where you ought to spend your time, and once you get in rhythm and balance, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do it. I want you to allow the Spirit of God to lead you. I want you to allow the Spirit of God to fill you. And when he tells you these are the steps you ought to take, here's what I want. I want you to do it. And here's the last thing. I want you to spend time selecting where you ought to serve here at DCC. If you are not serving here at DCC as a responsible sibling, after God reveals to you your giftings, after God shows you where you need to spend more time, I want you to select where you ought to spend your time. I want you to go to the connect table. I want you to come to me. I want you to go to your life group leader. I want you to go in their face and sit there and be like, hey, this is where I'm gifted at. This is where I need to be serving at. And for those who are doing multiple jobs, here at DCC, I want you to start recruiting people to replace you. Well, pastor, if I get replaced, what I'm going to do? You're going to continue to lead. You're going to have less things to do so that you can be maximized and, and profit from the things that you need to do. I know this was a hard sermon. In no way do I think, man, that any of this is easy. But it is biblical. It is biblical. God is calling us to use our time in such a way so that the Spirit of God may flourish, so that the Spirit of God may just wreck this place. And we needed to buy more chairs because there's more people in here. I get it. But not only do I want to buy more chairs because people are coming. I want to buy more chairs because people are putting their faith in Jesus because we are the disciple makers that he has called us to be. I want us to experience the joy of our salvation. I want our children to look at us and say, I want to be like mama. I want to be like daddy because of how they love Jesus. For some of our singles, I want you to experience companionship because you are connected to the, the body of God and not only experience companionship, but you're using your time and your energy to just wreck the kingdom of God. That's what I, my prayer is for this church. And as the worship team comes up here and uh, pray our last song, someone reminded me of something that we used to do back in the day called contemplation. And in contemplation, we should say three things. What is God calling you to stop? What is God calling you to start? And what is God calling you to believe? In light of everything you've heard in this sermon about time, what is God calling you to stop? What is God calling you to start? And what is God calling you to believe? Let us worship. Thank you again for listening to Disciple City Church Podcast. 
Until we meet again, Shalom.